I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today, I'm happy to bring you a special inside look at what turned out to be one of the better-received Grammy ceremonies in a while. With much-discussed performances by Joni Mitchell and Tracy Chapman with Luke Combs, a dramatic speech by Jay-Z, and even a Taylor Swift album announcement, among many other highlights. Here's my conversation with executive producer Ben Winston, who's in his fourth year in charge of the show. He'll take you inside behind-the-scenes drama, the decision-making process, and a whole lot more. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to do this. I know you must still be recovering from the Grammys. Yeah, I'm a little bit tired this morning, so you have to excuse my slightly croaky voice. Although it's not tired from like, I didn't go out afterwards just because the adrenaline that fires through your body during a live show like that for three and a half hours and the build-up for months leading up to it of people are in, people are out, what are you doing, who's going to do what? So when it's over, I just sat in our office and just stared at the wall for two hours. (laughs) And then I went for a drink. Is it sort of like with Christmas and Elf that the moment that one Grammys ends is the moment you begin thinking about next year or do you give yourself a week off? Luckily, I do make some other shows. So this morning I've been in, this morning I've been in on meetings about an NBA doc we're making. So I'm straight into that. So actually the day after the Grammys for me is always quite a tough day because it's, if I had a dollar for every time I said to my assistant, I'll deal with that the day after the Grammys because it's a great excuse. When you're producing the Grammys, you can literally just, you can literally just go, yeah, no, I, I'm so sorry. I uh, I can't, I'm producing the Grammys, so I can't get back to you. And so now it's, it's over. So let's talk about that new quiz show or whatever. You know, I always used to go, well, I don't know if I'll do it next year or I don't know if they'll have me. And now I actually really enjoy it and love it quite a lot. So now I do afford myself the time to go that would be cool maybe we should try that next year or what could we do and so it gives us longer to think about it and plan for things to start out before we get to the many great performances it's never an ideal way to start in the evening and not ideal optics to have your best rap album winner taken away in handcuffs we were curious what you heard about killer mike at the time and what you've learned since Oh, I genuinely, I really know very little. You probably know more than I do. I'm in a bunker before the show um, dealing with, what we were dealing mainly with was because of the rain, because Los Angeles people don't, can't seem to cope with weather. Like my kids' school was cancelled today because of the rain. Can you imagine if that happened in England? I literally wouldn't be able to read or write if my school was cancelled every time it rained. But so so because of the rain, it got to... um, it was about 4.45. We're going live in 15 minutes and Patrick Menton, the co-EP who oversees talent and is just a brilliant genius and wonderful man. He came in and he said, Scissor, we're not sure she's going to make it back in time for her performance on Act 2. She went to the red carpet or she went to a hotel to get glammed and she can't get back in. Burner Boy was stuck in traffic, might not make it. And you definitely won't have Mariah, Casey, Christina Aguilera and Lizzo all stuck in traffic, won't make the beginning of the show. And so suddenly you're just going, oh my goodness, if we don't have Scissor in part two, what do we do? If we don't have Mariah Carey presenting that award in part one, what do you do? And you've just got to keep as calm as you can. In the end, they went and got a golf cart. They drove it down the side of the freeway. They picked Mariah Carey up out of her SUV that was stuck in traffic. And with four people running around the side with umbrellas, because of course they had to have umbrellas to make sure she didn't get so wet that she couldn't go on stage. We literally ran, like we drove a golf cart up the wrong way of the freeway and bought her back so she made it on time. So it's those sorts of things I was dealing with. So the Killer Mike thing I heard about 
I think I, I think I was, I actually don't, it might have been after the show and I still don't know. There was talk that it was something that happened at the Grammys or there was talk that it was something that had happened before. I genuinely have no idea. You might know more than I do, but. Your purview is the televised show and this didn't affect that. I'm not in charge of the premiere ceremony. So it, there's a pre-show which has about 80 awards given out. And uh, me and the producers, we choose around 10 to put into the main show. And then once they are in the main show, then the nominees and the presenters, they're all my responsibility to make sure that they're there and I know where they're sat and all of that happens. But anything that goes on before, I'm, I'm not really aware of. But I was pleased that he won. I love that album. And he did the show um, in the first year that I produced it in 2021, in the COVID year. We did a performance with Little Baby and Killer Mike was on it and he was just amazing. I was really happy that album won. Let's talk about Tracy Chapman and Luke Combs. How did that come together? I give full credit here to Raj Kapoor and Patrick Menton. They, they, they said to me months ago, they, we had a meeting like, you know, a four month, five month to go. What should we be looking at this year? Who are the albums that we think? And obviously Luke's song, A Fast Car, was blowing up so much so that the new generation somehow were singing it and didn't even realise that this is a song that we all grew up with by a totally different artist. And they said, look, there might be interest from Tracy. And, and they worked really closely alongside that camp to make sure it happened, to make sure she felt good about it. She was, she brings just like this joyful, amazing energy, this calmness to the set. Um, and it happened. We, we sometimes thought it was too good to be true when she had agreed to do it. There was a lot that we had to go through to make sure it could happen and that she felt comfortable in doing it. But I would actually say that was the first thing we booked on this year's Grammys. I, th I think that was, we felt like that was near to done three or four months ago. Um, and so we felt very good about it. We felt like the only thing that could stop it is if Luke maybe didn't get a nomination for that song, then it might be a bit weird and that would scupper it. And then when he did, we were quick to confirm that, that booking. But yeah, that was Raj and Patrick patiently working on that for very many months to make sure that pulled off. When you say that there were things that needed to be done to make her comfortable, what kind of things? She probably needed to get to know us. She, she probably needed to feel like we were going to do things right by her and by her song. We needed to prove who we were. She's an icon and a legend. And she doesn't just show up for anything. She's got to be comfortable and happy. And yeah, I think she was. I think she had a good experience. Since this is someone who hasn't performed in public for a while, was there something special about the rehearsals or something more intense? Yeah, or? hugely. Those rehearsal days are insane. We only get, people think, but it's funny when people like occasionally like throw a bit of, sh luckily this year it hasn't happened, but they sometimes throw shade at the show about, oh, this went wrong, that went wrong. You get the keys to Staples with the cameras in it on Thursday night. So the first time we have a look at anything is Thursday night, because that is a busy venue. And also it's really expensive to have the, we don't have the budget to have the Staples Center. I shouldn't say that, crypto.com arena. My apologies to the crypto.com arena for not getting the name right. But we only get the keys to it essentially on the Thursday night's the first time you look at it on camera. And so we have, we rehearse, there's 15 or 16 performances last night, if you include In Memoriam was four in itself. Thursday night, Friday all day, Saturday all day, and that's it. And you literally get between 60 minutes and 75 minutes per performance to rehearse on camera. That's all you get. So it's like a sausage factory. You just churn it out. It's, it's that literally Joni Mitchell's there. You get 60 minutes. She goes. Miley Cyrus comes in. 60 minutes. Dua Lipa comes in. 60 minutes. Sometimes you can run over by 15, but you can't run over more than that because scissors coming in in four out. Like it is an in insane schedule that is really impossible. But what was really amazing about that rehearsal day, those two and a half days of rehearsal or two rehearsal days in an evening, was like sitting in this room and one by one, 
these just icons that you just can't believe you're in a room with are coming into this room. So yeah, it was special when Tracy was in there. Felt quite starstruck by the whole thing. And I was just like, oh man, I hope everything goes well and we just get this to Sunday because you just never know. And luckily it all came off and went well. And the other performance that I was told was months in the making, Raj told me that, was Joni Mitchell. What were the steps to make that happen? That happened with Brandi Carlisle. She said to me, about six months before the last Grammys, about a year and a half ago, we were chatting and she said, I think it'd be really, Joni's performing again a little bit. She's singing more. She's singing in in her house and she's going to do a few festivals with me. Do you think maybe we could get her to sing at the Grammys? And I was like, wow, that would be amazing. And then as it got nearer to the Grammys last year, we just, we didn't even really talk about it. It was just clear that it wasn't going to happen and it wasn't right. And then she did Newport and, and that album came out and did so well. And it was October the 14th, and I only remember that because it was the day after my birthday. And I went to see Brandy at the Hollywood Bowl, and it was the mo- it was one of actually the best gigs I've ever been to at the Hollywood Bowl that night. She did. It was just this beautiful show, and it was only sort of seven days after what had happened in Israel on October the 7th. So it was a really strange atmosphere, and she spoke at the beginning about what had happened, and she sung somewhere over a rainbow and turned the Hollywood Bowl into a rainbow. It was just a really beautiful night. And then the show finished and then you thought it was finished, but you thought, oh, Brandy might come on for an encore. And then the whole show, the whole stage turned around and there was Joni Mitchell sat there. And she did four songs. To my right, Harrison Ford. I don't know him. That wasn't a name job because I don't know him. He was sat <laughs> like here, like on my right. And Tom Hanks was right in front of me. And Harrison Ford was like crying his eyes out watching Joni Mitchell. He was just incredibly moved by it. And Tom and Rita were in front of us and you could see they were incredibly moved out. And all of these people, I don't know how many the capacity is in the Hollywood Bowl, but the whole place was enraptured by this performance. And I literally texted Brandy straight after, as I said, I know we've talked about it for a while. That was magical. We have to do everything we can to get her to perform on the Grammys this year. We really do. And then when she got nominated for the Grammy, for I think it was American Folk Album, I think that's what she won last night. She said, no, Joni feels good about it. Joni feels good about it. Let's see how she is nearer the time, but Joni's up for it. It was really amazing. She's this sort of incredible being and meeting her as I've done this week, because I've never met her before that, obviously. I just always dealt with Brandy and her manager, Frank meeting her and just seeing how like she loved it and she enjoyed the adulation she got and she sat there on this throne in her dressing room and people came to greet her olivia rodrigo came and paid her respects and everybody like all these people were coming and she was so lovely about the show and she was so honored she said she was so honored to be on it and she told me i was wearing a nice jacket which meant a lot because it's Joni mitchell and yeah it was just like this crazy beautiful moment and funnily enough this would be my, my fourth year making the show but like the texts that i got when the announcement came out that she was doing it, and as soon as she came off the stage, the way my phone blew up. It was almost too much emotion for the middle of an award show, honestly. You know what? It was really interesting. Until a week ago, I'd put it in Act 3. I had it in Act 3 because I had because sta- I was thinking, if Billy Joel's at the end of the show, Trace Chapman's at the beginning, then you could go Joni here, and then you go you two. And, then you- and I was just thinking about like the icons who we could make sure we keep an audience and then it was really funny i woke up in the middle of the night on i think it was like a week ago and i really literally was like 3 30 in the morning and i woke up and i was like Joni mitchell's in the wrong place in the running order i was like it's too early for that emotion it's too early we've got to get we've got to get big hits out of the way you got to get you got to hear scissor you got to hear olivia rodrigo you got to hear miley and then we got to earn the right to stop the show and pay homage to her and so we literally rejigged the whole show and obviously because of the ways the sets are it's a real logistical nightmare that 
television show. It's so hard to get your head around how you're going to build a scissor set and then with all those kabukis dropping and then suddenly 10 minutes later, Miley Cyrus is singing on the full stage and all of that. So it was complicated, but we reworked the whole show and moved her to act nine because I was like, I just felt like emotionally it would pay off more if people had bought into the show and went earned the right for that moment. And I was really pleased as watching it. And I'm going to watch the show back tonight. Me and my wife, we're going to have a curry and sit and watch it. Because <laughs> when I'm in the truck, when we're in the truck and we're Hamish Hamilton and his director sat next to me calling cameras and I'm on the radio and you're looking at audio and you're looking at lights and you're looking at timings and presenters and scripts. And I'm in Trevor's ear the whole show and you've got so much going on. You're just you're looking for, oh, there's a shot of Meryl. Take camera three. Meryl's crying. You're just <laughs> in the mix of it that actually tonight I'm going to really enjoy it. And I actually think I'll probably get really emotional at that moment of watching it because it will mean so much that we managed to do it and pull it off and the fact that she felt so good about it she was so excited afterwards it was the only time I left the truck all night actually I, I can never really leave the truck for more than a minute or two to go and do a couple of wheeze but when Joni finished there was a six minute break because there's too many adverts on the Grammys that's also <laughs> not my fault but that is that that's what it is and so I ran and I just ran to her dressing room because I had to just go thank you and see her and I don't know hold her hand and just go that meant the world to so many people and, and she just looked so delighted by it all and just the fact that she'd done it and she was the one who said to us with about three weeks to go she said I've never performed on the Grammys before and I was just like what Even, how is that how is that possible she's like I've never you know I've never agreed to do it and you know so this is it and that made it even more special and then I just pelted it straight back to the <laughs> truck because I needed to be there for Travis Scott so yeah so I didn't have long I just went and yeah wanted to see her and thank her because I'm sure it was a lot I'm sure that was a lot for her to do Sizz's performance was great anything stick out in the behind the scenes making of that I loved getting to know her and working with her I think she's amazing I think she's amazing and I think she might be amazing because she doesn't know how amazing she is I think she might be one of those performers that mm. sort of doesn't always realize how incredible she is I also like I love her album. Like, I think her album is amazing. We did this interview with her, and in the end, we actually didn't use... We only used her voice. We actually didn't use her face because we thought, actually, this is a really... It was almost more powerful hearing, like, her inner thoughts of, you know, her nerves and her anxiety. And I thought it really humanised her and showed a real vulnerability and beauty, but also seeing to her not only how full of anxiety she is that she's only happy when she's swimming in the ocean but also when that last shot that Jackson Wigger who made those films with Alex Papa she and, and Lexa Payne she speaks about how being nominated for nine Grammys is incredible but she's thought about this moment all her life and she's thought about what she would do if she was on that stage what she would say and so I felt then you watch her performance and you've got all these martial arts experts and both then you've got fire and you've got stuntmen flying up into the air. And I felt like that film gave us a little window into her soul a bit and see what she was going on in her mind. And I felt like it, made, it elevated that performance. And then she nearly missed the... She goes on and on about winning a award on the Grammy stage and then she, I didn't know where she... We called out her name and everyone's like, where's the hell is scissor? And... Luckily, she, I don't know where she was because obviously I was in the truck, but then I heard Raj saying, she's coming, she's running, tell Lizzo to fill, she's coming. <laughs> and so then she just ran out from the side and collected it. But again, I love those moments of like madness. Of Same with Trevor's monologue. It was almost like 
we had all these jokes that he was going to tell about people and they're not in their seats. And then unbelievably, as he's talking about them, they emerge and our brilliant cameraman and Tori on Steadicam like sees Taylor coming in and then sees Merrill. So it was really exciting. And that is what's incredible. It's what I both absolutely hate about this job and also what I love about it is like that live television element. You just never, ever know what's going to happen. That um, was, again, the rain and traffic thing that people weren't in their seats. Yeah, I don't quite. The, the, the Merrill one definitely was trapped, was yeah. traffic. Taylor one, she, I think she was in the building. I don't know. Maybe she was caught on the red carpet. I've, I've just got no idea. But all I know is that when we were going live, we had a producer out on the floor, like looking for, was ticking off, oh, this is who Trevor's going to speak about. And this is who's there telling our camera boys and us in the truck, oh, Doja's here. This one's here. And then I was saying to Trevor, because I'm in Trevor's ear, I'm going, look, I'm, I'm just so you know, Meryl's not here. Taylor's not here. Beyonce and Jay-Z aren't here yet. A lot of your jokes about them, you can still say them. You just got to change the context of rather than Taylor Swift's here, everybody. It's going to be, guess who's going to be here? Taylor Swift's going to be. And he's so quick and so sharp. And then I'd say in his ear, She's coming in. She's on your right-hand shoulder and you'll see him look around and go, there she is. That was really fun. And he's so adept at being able to handle that in a brilliant way. He definitely had a ramped up energy during that opening monologue. Yeah. Some of that might have been whatever you were saying in his ear. <laughs> yes, I think you're right. He was so energetic. There's two things I'd say about it. One is what I love about him is all his jokes are positive. He's never roasting anybody. Like his roast of Doja Cat is, you're saying you don't care what we say about you. I want to say this about you. I think you're great. And like, how are you going to take that? See, he's all positivity and energy and love. And that is plays well in that room. But the other thing that's really interesting about that monologue is it's the first monologue really, I think I've ever seen at an award show. And it's the second year we've done it. That he does a monologue in the audience. Like it's, he's walking around the audience. It's not like up on a stage with a prompter there like just doing a speech he's in and amongst it and like working the crowd and I, I think it's amazing to watch because you're almost seeing he'll make a joke about Olivia Rodrigo and she's in the foreground of your shot you're literally relating the two on cameras and it feels like you're really part of that room it's two years in a row now where that room is Met Gala level of faces it really is it's everybody in music film pop culture when you go from Beyonce to Oprah from Taylor to Meryl Streep it's a real serious room in there and so for him to work the room I think it's great watching it also helps us because of course what's going on stage is we are striking Dua Lipa's set last year we were striking Bad Bunny set and they are building Tracy Chapman's set so that by the time you've done Trevor's monologue and a Mariah Carey award to Miley this year you then got then then Luke Combs is set on that stage, and I can't remember who would be set on this stage. I can't remember. Oh, Scissors, uh, like part of her set was then going to be built on that stage. So the whole thing is this house of cards, and so part of the reason we put him in the audience is because he's amazing at it and it's exciting viewing. But the other half is there's actually nowhere for him to go because we're building a stage. <laughs> so it's great fun. And he's incredibly talented. And yeah, I love doing the show with him. It's been four years doing it together and it's rewarding for us both. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. How clear was it to you from close to the start that Dua's performance would open the show? Or was it a lot of back and forth about what to put there? It was, e it was either or. It was either going to be the Rolling Stones or Dua Lipa. 
That's what I was thinking. I was thinking either Rolling Stones doing Angry or Dua Lipa. We knew Dua was going to be on the show a long time in advance because Dua's team are phenomenal, like phenomenally, or like so creative. Pete Abbott and Kathy Riley, they're just an amazing team to work with and Dua's the dream to work with. And they were very organised. They said, look, if we get nominations, we're going to be there. We're committing to the show. We'd love to do it. They had clever ideas. And then when the nominations came in, they like confirmed within 24 hours. They were like, yep, we're there. This is what we'd like to do. And I thought to myself, I tried, had conversation with the Stones. I would have liked to have got them. Didn't work out this time. And, and so it was either or. And then, but, but truthfully, when, by the time we got that, I was like, no, I really want it to be Dua. Because I just thought to start the show with such an amazing dynamic thing. So even before we knew that the Stones weren't going to happen, I actually thought it was worth starting with Dua Lipa anyway, because... It was just going to be such a like big track and it was such a huge number. And yeah, just it just felt right for an opener. And I just don't know how, I don't know what else actually on that show could have opened the show. I guess you could have opened with Miley, but I liked it where she was. Yeah, I thought Dua was just an amazing opener and she was perfect for it. Um, and I'm just a mega fan of hers. I think she's just like brilliant. Miley was such a tremendously confident and funny performance has also managed to keep it secret. I don't think she was sure she wanted to perform at all at the Grammys originally. I think she was like considering it. And her management and the label invited me down to meet her at Chateau Marmont. And she did, she did this piano bar private performance for wow. her friends. And it was like, there was about 50 or 60 people in there. And I felt like they were all her mates and then like me who'd, who'd met her once on carpool karaoke. And she like didn't know. I was like, oh God, I'm the guy who no one, like I'm not the friend. And we watched her and she did an hour's concert just for the 60 people. And I'd always known Miley was great. Like I've always been a fan of hers. I really have. But I think it was like, I was like, oh, she's unbelievable. She's like properly amazing. And more than that, she's hysterical. So she would talk all the way through her songs and like, talk in between the songs, change the lyrics in the room to make people laugh. And she was this unbelievable entertainer. And then I met her afterwards and I didn't play, like I didn't go too hard because I knew like I can't go run in there and go, please do the Grammys, I need you. So I just tried to be cool, just going, hey, just great, just great a chat, just great. Oh, Grammys. Oh yeah, no, that'd be good if you can, yeah, no, whatever. That'd be cool, whatever. <laughs> and all I'm thinking is I just want to get on my knees and beg. But we chatted and then I got to know her team a little bit and, and we spoke for a long time about it and she was umming and ahhing about it. And then I said, look, let's just do what she did at Chateau. Like, you know, when she, she like did it, like it wasn't acoustic version of Flowers, but it was just with a piano. It was just like a little like piano singer vibe. I said, that was such a clever version. Why don't we do that on the dish? You know, which is the second stage, that one in the middle where Stevie Wonder played. Why don't we do that? She can sing. It'll blow the roof off it. Easy for her. She doesn't need to worry. And they went, all right, we'll consider it. And then it was just before Christmas, about like the 23rd of December. Jonathan, her manager, emailed me and he said, okay, spoke to Molly. She's in, but she's going big. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then she turned up for rehearsals. I think it was Friday. And she was just like fully made up, full outfit, different outfits than what she wore on the show, I think. Like she just fully made up, full outfit. She performed as brilliantly as she did on the show. She did in her first rehearsal. She just bought it. And I was absolutely gobsmacked by her, how talented she was, how iconic she looked. The whole thing was amazing. And she walked off stage and I met her backstage and I went, you, that was genuinely Miley. That was just jaw dropping. Truly, that's going to be an amazing moment. And she went, yeah, hmm. I think I'll, I think I'll do the show. I think I'll do the show. 
And I like looked at her as if to say, is she winding me up? Is she kidding? And she was like, yeah, I think I'll do it. I feel good. I think I'll do it. And I was like, oh my God, is it not? <laughs> it's Friday. Is she not doing it? So I reckon that whole I'm not announcing was partly because uh, it's really fun to have surprises. And, and I think that was a good thing. You always want a bit of mystery and you always want chatter. You don't want to reveal everybody all at once. You just don't. But I think... On the, from that comment that she made to me, I actually think that it was more about, I reserve the right to pull out of this if I don't fancy it. And that's like the superstar she is, really. And so then, and then I did see her on, she was amazing in dress rehearsal, and I popped into her dressing room afterwards, and, and she was just really calm, and she was like, oh, this is going to be fun. And, and I was just like, oh, she's going to blow the roof off it. And I put her in a really good slot as we crossed the hour at nine o'clock, which is always a big slot in the show, and I, I was pleased for her. I was so pleased for her. I was so pleased for her. I thought her speeches were incredible. I thought the way she brought Mariah Carey over and played homage to her and said two MCs together. She was just beautiful. She said this matters, but she also said it doesn't, which is true. It matters and it also doesn't equally. And then she mucks around with her lyrics and go changes the lyrics of her songs. I've just won my first Grammy. It was just joyous. And like we were up dancing in the truck and I'm, I, I just couldn't be more thrilled for her. She's a joy to work with. And we, I feel very lucky that we had her on our show this year. I think it added a massive dimension to it. Billy Joel, don't think I've ever seen a performance split into two parts on the Grammys before. That was very unique. Yeah, it was fun, right? I always think it's a bit of a, I, th I feel it's a bit of a damp one if you just go out on an award winner. You like give out album of the year or record of the year and you go, congratulations, Taylor, good night. And then you're hitting the credits. And I'm always a bit, you want, it's a music show, right? You end a party with a piece of music. I really wanted Billy to do, I was excited about his new song. I love his new song. I think it's incredible, but I really wanted him to do a hit as well. But then we, I felt like if he'd done a hit straight away after it, then suddenly you're getting a two-minute film about him, which I really liked. And I think that was very important to understand the moment and how Freddie Wexler had, had this impact on his career. So I wanted that two-minute video. The song is four minutes. And then if he does another song, let's say three <laughs> minutes, suddenly you're going, but that's on television, on network, that is... 10 minutes of Billy in a row before you're getting to album of the year. And I worried about that. So then we pitched him the idea not long ago, like maybe like a week or two ago, maybe two weeks ago. I said, what about he, he bookends, you know, he goes either side of album. So we go, he plays, we bring on Celine Dion, he goes and, and then we give out album of the year and then he plays us out with a hit and everyone's dancing and stuff. And I thought they'd say no, but he was really cool. He was like, yeah, sounds fun. I was like, oh, brilliant. Because that's great. Because you don't want to get a new artist necessarily at the end of a show. Because I think that's hard for them. We did it one year with Brothers Osborne. We gave them like the end slot. And I felt they were amazing. They were absolutely amazing. And luckily their music suited it. But I do think it's hard to be like the end performer during a credit sequence. And Billy was just really cool about it. He was like, no, sounds great. And I thought it was just quite an iconic way to end a Grammy show that We'd worked hard on it. It was really, there's a lot of thought that went into that show. And yeah, the fact that he, he went either side was great. We didn't need to say, change the set. Just the, 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 all the stagehands who've been sweating for three and a half hours could just sit there and go, ah, oh, it's just Billy again. It's great. So it worked well. Was there ever a Taylor Swift performance on the table or did the touring schedule mean from the start? It just was a. I think, I think the touring, yeah, I think we knew we were coming into, look, we'd always hoped that there might be a way, but when we realized her tech team were going to be already out in Japan, because she flew straight after the show, she flew literally direct on a plane last night, but her team and her crew needed to go in advance of her and they needed to set. So when we saw that, we were like, oh, okay, that's a shame. But, 
I learned this from Adele and, and uh, not being able to perform last year as well. It's like actually them being part of it and dancing in the room. It's amazing that when we heard that like Taylor couldn't perform because of her schedule, obviously it's heartbreaking when you're the producer of the show and you think, oh my goodness, everyone's going to go, why isn't she performing? But actually no one said anything about that because people get it. Same with Adele last year. Like she sung all day Friday, like Friday night sung her high out in Vegas, Saturday night sung her high out in Vegas. I've got to know Adele. She's incredible. She can't speak on a Sunday. She literally, ca she cannot, the idea that she'd do live telly as soon as she was like, no, I... I have a show, there's no way. And it was this, and, and I got it with Taylor as well. And luckily people haven't, they've understood that, that it is what it is. And it's not like the era's tour isn't like the biggest thing on the planet. So people don't understand it. So of course, at first I was a little bit disappointed, but when they made it clear, she's coming, she's excited. She's gonna really like, she's really up for it. And she really wasn't she, she was like, she was life and soul of the party as she often isn't those things. So yeah, it was all good. You had this fascinating, and gripping meta moment with Jay-Z. He, he delivers a critique of the institution at length and in detail. It's was a pretty interesting moment. Yeah, fascinating TV, wasn't it? Again, people need to understand you're the guy in charge of the show, not who gets awards. He very rarely does speeches, right? He rarely, very rarely does interviews. So you don't really hear him speak that often about what he thinks, let alone standing next to his daughter saying, oh, I'm getting nervous, so I'm going to tell the truth. So yeah, listen, it was fascinating TV. I think no one can deny, no one can deny, it's genuinely undeniable the impact Harvey Mason Jr. has had on the Recording Academy as a CEO. Like he just has. I see it. I see it in the amount of voters that have joined. I see it in the work that they're doing. I see it in the employees that are there who I deal with every day. He is a leader and like an inspiring one at that. And what he's done with the Black Music Collective, what he's done for the whole organization has been really phenomenal. And even just going, yeah, no, say what you feel. If that's how you feel, be on our stage and say that. So it's a question more for him than it is. But I also think, yes, he was up. He made it clear that he thought the voters had got it wrong over the years. But he also acknowledged, and we shouldn't forget, how much the strides that the Academy have made and the work that the Black Music Collective has done. And he is there collecting that award, which means it means something. And they've been at the, I've done four of these ceremonies and they've been at three of them. It matters. They don't turn up to much, but they were there on our first year in COVID. They were there in our third year last year when Beyonce was nominated and they were there last night. And so they, they clearly have an affiliation and they care about it and they want the organization to be going in the right path. And I think it's fine for him to say that. But I also think he'd acknowledge that it probably is getting there and going in the right direction. And ultimately, no organization can control who their voters vote for. And like they really can't. Everyone's got to remember that. And I think the winners last night were good winners, right? And I think last year the winners were good winners. I think like they really were. And all those committees that had been going for years, that was before my time, because remember, and again, I want to reiterate, I don't even vote. I'm not even a member of the Academy, right? Like I really am not. I make TV yeah. shows. I don't make music. So I'm not a member of the Academy. I'm just a music fan. But like you can't control who votes and even Harvey or the organization can't actually can control who votes. And it is what it is. And people have got to get out there and vote to get their voice heard. I remember I, I had a chat a couple of years ago with a quite well-known rapper and I was talking to him about doing the show and we had a Zoom together. And they were there, there was five of them together and we were just chatting and, and I said, look, we're trying to make the show more friendly. We're trying to, I know you might have had criticisms of the Grammys of past, but come with us. Like we are new here. Come with us, be with us, be part of what we're trying to do. 
and and to be fair, he said, look, I, he was very lovely and said nice things about us and said really lovely things about Harvey. And he goes, look, ultimately, just can't get over the fact that the voters, just, they always get it wrong. And I said to them, the five of them, I said, how many of you five are voters? We are, well, we're all members of the Academy. I was like, and who did you vote for? Because we don't vote. I was like, really? you got to vote. You've got to vote. You've got to vote. And it was really funny. It was a moment because, yeah, fair enough. I've never, I've actually never voted. I was like, no, you should, because then you can have a voice in it. Listen, it's bigger than that. And I'm not belittling the issues and the things that happen in these academies and in all academies. But, but I do think that Harvey's making huge strides forward. And I think that is to be respected in a big way. On a similar note, obviously, the genre awards, for the most part, are in the pre-show, or, or maybe entirely in the pre-show. There were some complaints that perhaps one of the rap awards could be included yeah. in the main show. Yeah, you're right. That's a fair criticism. I think the reason why we didn't was because I felt like the Dre Award was going to a hip-hop icon. And so I felt like when I knew that was in the show, I thought that was. And I also really, R&B usually isn't in the show. And I felt like I really wanted to do an R&B one. So it would have been probably, it was either or. I also felt you've only really got time for the 10. So if you think about it, if we just look at it, analyze it, which I have to do, and fair enough, I might have made a mistake, right? Maybe I should have put a hip-hop album in there. It's fair, like, or rap album, as it's called. I take that. I can't get everything right all the time, right? Or most of the time, I should say. But all those decisions are taken with just pure honesty and an open heart. And the way I looked at it, I really wanted pop performance and pop album in there because I think you could say, but those are two pop ones. It's, yeah, but you have to acknowledge the audience that you're providing for. And I think that those were going to be big awards and Ed Sheeran, Kelly Clarkson, there's big stars to not have in the show. So that's two. I really wanted a Latin award in there, which is why I chose Music Obana album. I think that is a, you can't deny that genre of music. So I wanted that. I really wanted an R&B award in. I thought there was some really big R&B moments. Victoria Monet in there, Scissor in there. I thought there were some really good nominees. That's a fourth. Um, country album. I think it's fair that you have a country album. Then I had the four best new artist, record, album and song. And then the 10th I put in there was the Dre um, award because it was going to Jay-Z and I felt like that was a big moment on television and I wanted to put it on TV. It's not what music hair isn't always in. Sometimes it is. It's the prerogative of the producer. Because of that Dre award, I felt like that was a really fair balance. I think you'll agree the show was stacked. It was packed full. We were four minutes heavy. If you have another award, that's a six minute commitment that you're making. Okay. So that's six minutes because of the time you've got the walkout, the presenter, the nominee package, the walk up, the winner, the speech. That's a six minute thing. So I'm losing an artist. Which artist am I losing from that lineup? I don't want to lose Burner Boy. I thought showcasing Afrobeats was a really important thing to do. I also knew 21 Savage was coming in on that. And I had Travis Scott performance and I had Jay-Z. So my feeling was rap album I put in the show every single year I've done it. But this year I felt partly because I had a Jay-Z moment and I had 21 Savage with Burner and I had Travis and I didn't really necessarily have an R&B performance. Um, because although you could argue Scissors was with Snooze, of course, although it was mainly into Kill Bill. That's the reason I took that decision. I meant no disrespect. I, I've, I can't please everybody. Last year, the, the R&B community were, were upset that it didn't get in the show. I just, that's my, that's the way I think about it. But I really give it huge thought. And I felt like, also, I want to remind people that last year, we did a 17 minute hip hop segment on the show. And that was pretty phenomenal. That was pretty phenomenal. And we did, and we ended with God Did out on the streets with Jay-Z rapping. I don't think, to be fair, I don't think you can look at the four years I've done this show and not say we haven't 
really tried to acknowledge and work and with the hip hop community and the rap community and yeah last night i decided that wasn't i could that was the one that fell out and i just never want people to think that i don't think about all of these things because we really do we really do there's always things that get away i'm just curious whether boy genius was ever in the cars whether say kendrick lamar was ever i'm just curious what sort of might have been's there were if any this year was tough. It was really tough because the way you got to look at it, and I've maybe went into too much detail on the awards thing, I might get in trouble for that. But I'm also like, let people understand yeah. why these decisions make, because it's so easy to write a tweet. It's so easy <laughs> to go, this is disrespectful. It's, Hold on one sec. Let me remind you of a few things. And I only mean it with love. But when you're booking the show, you've basically got 12 slots, right? So the nominations, there's eight nominees in record and there's eight nominees in album. So you've got those. Then you've got you really want to do a rap performance, probably a hip hop performance in some way. You want to do an interesting genre like that's a bit different. This year we went with Afro Beats. Then you've got a country performance. So you've got three of those. Then you've got your, your in memoriams. You've got your things you've got to do. You've then got the icons that are around like Joni who is nominated or Billy Joel who's got something new or those excitements. So those slots fill up fast. I think there's so many unbelievable artists who didn't make it onto the show this year. Like, and... I wish, in a way, it's the longest show on earth and it needs to be an hour shorter, but also it could be like three hours longer. I would have loved Jelly Roll on the show. Amazing. I would have loved Boy Genius on the show. I would have loved Victoria Monet on the show. I would have... There's so many incredible... Uh, David O, actually, would have been incredible as well. Like some brilliant... Killer Mike, actually, could have been incredible. He, like when he... Anyway, there's so many things that you just... You can't... You just can't do it all. You just can't. And what I'm really happy about is the response from last night, not just the fact that it rated higher than anything we've done before and whatever, but actually like just the people saying nice things. Because I was worried about the Joni element of it. I was worried that people might go, why are you doing that rather than this? Or, But actually people have just gone, no, it's, an, it's, a real, it's a real eclectic mix. And music is so subjective. Your favourite track may give me a headache. My favourite album may be something that might won't make you kill yourself to rather than <laughs> listen to it. So there we are as a team. And I have to say, before we finish, I've got them. This is the most incredible team you could ever work with. And Raj and Patrick and Tabitha and Janae and Jesse Collins, this genius, and Hamish, our director, and David Wilde, all of that team, they're just brilliant. But we as a group, and it's not me, and that is a key thing to say, we sit down because if it was just my taste, that would be wrong to program the Grammys based on me because, and it would be wrong to base it on you. It, so we have eight people, we sit in a room and we argue the heck out of who should be on that show. And we find that balance between us and somebody will come in hot and passionate about why absolutely Burner Boy needs to be on the show. It's the most important thing that we're doing Afrobeats. And somebody else would be like, how can you not put this? But we have to be seen. And, and there was like, we've got to do more country because of Luke Combs is the only one. And we argue it out. And the eight of us come to a consensus. Maybe six of us really in that room, to be honest. It's probably six of us. And we come to a consensus of like where we should be going and what we should be doing. But we just do it out of love. Of, like we all just love it. And we love music and we try and get it right. And we definitely don't always. I think we did last night. I feel good about it. I don't have regrets about anything on the show last night. I don't have regrets about any of the awards that we chose or the performances that we chose. I'm not saying everybody has to agree with them, but I maybe by listening to this, they'll realize that they were just done with real, in, real thought. Real thought goes into every element of it. That's for sure. The only regret is now next year, you're going to be facing what's our Joni moment? What's our Tracy moment? Yeah, I did think about that. I read a review in the Rolling Stone this morning that said it was, I think it said one of the best award shows, not just one of the best Grammys of all time, one of the best award shows of all time. And literally 
the first thing I thought of was, oh, shit, what are we doing next year? That is the worst, because we're never... But then, you know, what's funny is I looked at this year and I've got to be honest with you about something. I looked at this about two months ago and I suddenly got really worried about the Grammys. I suddenly was like, oh, I don't know. Because we were, if you think about last year's, you had your Adele and your Beyonce and Harry and Bad Bunny and Lizzo and, and Billy and Taylor. They were all in those categories. And I was thinking, I hope. And then at the time, I didn't have Miley. We didn't have Taylor. We weren't <laughs> sure we were getting Billy. We definitely knew we had a brilliant opening duo. We thought we had a great closer in Billy. But the rest of the show I was like, oh, my goodness, how is this going to be? You know, Joni, we didn't know. Like, you can never count on that. You don't know how that's going to be. So two months ago, I was really worried about it. I thought, I hope this is going to be OK, because people were very lovely about last year. And it was up 31 last year on the rating i was nervous about it and we got there and we really did and i think that the only consolation i can have from the nerves that i have of are we going to be able to do it again is that i think that hopefully people will see more and more that this show just comes from a place of loving music and celebrating music and celebrating the people that make it and create it every day which we are not those people we are literally you've got a load of fans just music fans making this show having the honor of doing it and so i hope that I don't know who our Selena and Mariah moment are, are going to be. And I've got no idea who our Joni, Billy, Stevie Wonder singing with Tony Bennett. We haven't even discussed that. That's insane. Those moments in Tracy Chapman, I don't know what they're going to be. But I hope that we find them because that is the joy of that show, that you can bring people together and make them watch a night of television all together, which is so hard to do, especially in today's world. And that's what music can do at its best. And luckily, it's what music television can also do at its best by last night's showing. Ben, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, mate. Really nice to speak to you. And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.